Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, December 7th. Here we are on December 7th, the day that will live in infamy, as President Franklin Roosevelt put it, after Japan attacked Pearl Harbor on this date in 1941 and the United States entered World War II. December 7th also marks two months since the October 7th attack by Hamas on Israel. Like December 7th, like 9-11, like January 6th, October 7th is now one of those days on the calendar for which you don't have to say the year, and that has become a phrase unto itself that will have deep historical significance for years and maybe generations to come, right? And doesn't even need the year attached to it to have that. And tonight begins Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to all our Jewish listeners who observe or celebrate. Meanwhile, in Congress, they are stuck and divided on a few big things, related and unrelated. The aid to Israel and Ukraine package is as stuck as ever over Republican insistence that new border policies be included and Democrats' insistence that they are not included in the form the Republicans are demanding. A resolution declaring anti-Zionism to be anti-Semitism, unified Republicans but divided Democrats, And then there was the Republican debate last night. Not much news out of that, really, as they all jockeyed to be the heir apparent to Trump or maybe his vice president, except for Chris Christie. And there was Trump himself on Fox News Tuesday night with Sean Hannity refusing to say he wouldn't govern as a dictator. You are promising America tonight you would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, one. he's going to prison. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, that's drill, not a, that's, drill. That's not, no, no. that's not retribution. There was so much follow-up that could have been done at that moment, but it's left to our imaginations. With us now, Joseph Zabayos Roy, who covers domestic policy in Congress for the news organization Semaphore. Thanks for coming on, Joseph. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks for having me on, Brian. And sure enough, your latest article is called Trump's Dictator Comments Further Complicate Border Talks. So what's the relationship between Trump bloviating like that on TV and the actual negotiations over a border bill in Congress? So his comments, I think, serve as a fresh reminder to Democrats across Capitol Hill that whatever it is that they pass on the border could potentially be implemented by a future, um, a future Trump administration. I mean, we've we've seen pretty clearly from those comments at the um, Fox News town hall that a big part of Trump's second term agenda would basically inevitably be trying to restrict immigration, uh, limiting, potentially even shutting off uh, uh, asylum claims at the border. Um, so I think it just serves as a reminder to Democrats that whatever they negotiate on the border could be implemented by um, a future President Trump. And changes in immigration law don't happen very often. The last time that this was uh, negotiated on Capitol Hill, anything to this extent, was in the late 1990s. So whatever they negotiate now could be embedded in our immigration system for many years to come. And I think it's serving, I think it's helping remind Democrats to be uh, wary about 
anything that Republicans are demanding on the on the border at the moment. Yeah. Any analysis on what Trump was talking about when he said he would be a dictator only on day one? He said, except on day one. Of course, he could issue a lot of executive orders on day one. Um, whether or not that makes him a dictator, you know, that's, I guess, a matter of rhetoric at this point. Um, but is it clear what it is that he's referring to that he might try to do without the approval of Congress? Uh, because if they do pass a border bill with whatever's in it, Biden has to implement it. It's the law of the land, you know, assuming it 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 gets through, Biden might try to veto it and might get uh, passed anyway. We don't know. But um, but what is it clear from where, you know, Trump was digging in in that comment on TV, um, what it is exactly he would do with respect to the border that he wasn't able to do in his first term? I, yeah, that's a very interesting question. I can, I'll, I'll try my best to decode Trump's, uh, Trump's bombastic <laughs> language there, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that a big demand among, uh, you know, Republicans and people like within, um, you know, Trump's, uh, Trump's sphere is going to be, you know, um, trying to restore Trump era rules on immigration, like compelling asylum seekers to wait out their cases in Mexico, um, you know, restoring something like Title 42 that would swiftly expel migrants, um, you know, back to back to Mexico without even having their um, having their cases heard. And in, in the Title 42 days, that was um, first implemented under Trump. It was um, it expired earlier this year, but that could only be um, a lot. That was only um, it was used under the authority of a public health emergency. But I think Trump will go even further, just like just basically restore it and without without any public health emergency and just keep it. Um, but yeah, it, it seems pretty it seems pretty um, evident that any second Trump administration would be very would try to lead like a crackdown on the border. And, you know, Democrats, Democratic senators that I talk to have used words like, um, you, you know, like awful and um, just there's just something that they're very wary about at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, Joseph, looking back over your other most recent pieces, I see you have one from three days ago called the GOP demands that caused Democrats to walk out of border talks. And you have one from six days ago called the issue that could tank the Senate's border talks. Are they the same issue? I would say they're two separate issues. So what Democrats have made increasingly clear, people like, you know, Senator Chris Murphy, who's leading, um, who's leading a Democratic negotiations on the border, um, you know, something that they, they are digging a red line on is that Republicans, and this is, some, this is something I've also received from Democratic sources close to the talks, is that a big demand that they have is um, Republicans want to ensure that the president has the authority to shut down uh, asylum, the asylum of processing at will. Um, so people, people trying to seek refuge in the U.S., if you, um, if the president, you know, say a future President Trump, for example, decides that he doesn't want, he wants to halt uh, asylum claims one day, he could do that and he can just keep it for as long as he wishes. That is a red line among Democrats. They do not, they, they see this as a violation of international law because we are, we are obligated to, to um, under the Geneva Convention to actually process asylum cases. 
And then when it comes to the issue that it could tank, um, tank the talks, another area of major friction between Republicans and Democrats is parole, the issue of parole. And this is a this is a kind of like a like a kind of a complex um, weedy issue on immigration. But to summarize it, it basically the um, it it gives a, the Department of Homeland Security has um, authority to basically uh, grant parole to certain groups of people while they wait out their cases. And Republicans, what they want that they want that to stop at the border. So recently border patrol has been using this authority because they simply don't have the capacity to detain all the people that are crossing the border right now we've seen a historic spike in recent months so um, they want to make sure that the number of people coming to the border actually matches up with um, the number that we can actually detain so they just they want to stop basically like the mass releases are going on at the border but democrats are all reluctant to you know limit the president's authority in this regard Here's a text message from a listener who writes, Democrat here, I would like to see some more restrictions on the border. There is clearly an issue there. New York City is case in point, and it seems like Dems are turning a blind eye to it. So from a listener who at least uh, says they're a Democrat. And you did report on Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, um, saying that Democrats are willing to compromise. And we have sound bites of him from the last two days saying we're not going to do this extreme border bill that the Republicans want, but if we come to some kind of a compromise, yeah, we'll pass a border bill, and okay, we'll attach that to Israel and Ukraine aid, and and let's move forward. Is it clear to you, reporting on Congress, what kinds of new border policies the Democrats would accept in any kind of compromise? Yeah, so I think the easy easy way to look into you know what Democrats are more than ready to accept right now is just look at the supplemental. There's plenty there is um, plenty of new funding and the supplemental request that just failed yesterday um, in, in the Senate for you know more for more judges, more border patrol agents, um, you know that kind of thing. Just basically things that would help our immigration system work more smoothly and better. But yeah, it, when it comes to actual new border restrictions, which is like a red line among uh, Republicans, they're not bu- budging from their demand for stiffer border controls in exchange for any further aid to Ukraine. Um, they want wholesale changes in policy. Um, for example, something that I've actually been hearing about the talks is that Democrats seem to be ready to um, raise the threshold for an asylum claim to be successful, the credible fear standard. So that's something that Democrats seem to be ready to, oh, uh-huh. you know, give to Republicans. But when it comes to like some of the stuff like shutting off the asylum system at will, it doesn't seem like Democrats are going to go for that. Marianne in Hoboken, you're on WNYC with Joseph Ceballos Roy, who covers Congress for the news organization Semaphore. Hi, Marianne. Hi, guys. How you doing? Um, No, I was just, you know, when you guys were talking before, um, you were bringing up the point about um, Trump uh, being a dictator, you know, when he was interviewed by Hannity. And um, I was really expecting you to talk about the GOP's uh, position paper, the 2025 position paper about consolidating the powers of the presidency and, you know, and like, you know, institutions like the Department of Justice and the FTC and FCC, like all going under um, 
the executive branch. Um, so it's really not like up to Trump whether he's going to be a dictator or not. I mean, isn't it just a part of the whole thing that the GOP wants to do right now? Right. Well, that's a fair question. And I don't know the exact position paper as a position paper that you're talking about. Um, Joseph, maybe you do. Um, but this is another thing we heard in the Republican debate last night, very much from Vivek Ramaswamy, that, yeah, these three-letter agencies, as he called them, the FDA, the EPA, the SEC, et cetera, et cetera, these are executive branch agencies. And so while the Republicans, and of course there's a Supreme Court case to this effect right now, um, asking whether these agencies have as much rulemaking power as they think they do without specific rules for regulating a new food additive or, you know, whatever it may be, actually being passed by Congress, right? The Republican argument is that these agencies have, are, are exercising more power than Congress has really given that, giving them. But these are executive agencies, which is the point. So whoever the president is has a lot of control over how much the FDA, the SEC, the EPA, et cetera, actually do. Um, are, are you seeing this breaking? I realize you cover Congress. You're not covering the presidential race. But is that something that you see breaking out as, uh, as a main issue? This is something we're going to be hearing debates about um, in the fall of next year when it's general election time? Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure that this is definitely going to be um, going to be a subject of discussion, especially as uh, we start getting closer to November 2024 and Americans start paying more attention. But I guess like on the context of um, of immigration, um, you know, for example, in the House in the House side, there is a GOP uh, GOP border bill, H.R. 2, which is a very, very stringent, a stringent piece of legislation in terms of the border restrictions it would implement. Um, it would it would essentially give the president the authority to um, restore, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Title 42, a program that would, you know, swiftly, you know, quickly expel um, migrants um, from uh, from the United States, um, really limit, really, really raise the threshold to uh, to claim asylum to the point that immigration experts say that it's very unreasonable. Um, so I think, you know, when it comes to like HR2, it kind of reflects a direction that the Republican Party is going and a direction that Trump would take it if he were, uh, if he were um, reelected. Right. And I think I found the document um, that that text or the caller refers to called Project 2025, building now, I'm on their website, building now for a conservative victory through policy, personnel and training. And it says it's not enough for conservatives to win elections. If we're going to rescue the country from the grip of the radical left, we need both a governing agenda and the right people in place. There's the White House. There's the executive office, central personnel agencies managing the bureaucracy. It, it goes on to all kinds of policy positions. Um, do, do you know how much of a mainstream thing that is, Project 2025? 20, I think um, I, I've heard of Project 2025. I think that's basically that's like, you know, from, um, you know, like one of the Trump, if correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably from like a Trump aligned think tank that basically lays out, you know, a lot of the things that President, uh, former President Trump would do if he's reelected. Um, it's I think, you know, I think you would definitely find that document flying around like um, think tanks in order to get a sense like where Trump's priorities are. 
but it hasn't exactly like filtered down to the hill, not in the traditional sense. Like I like, um, I'm sure some of it is pop, popped up on HR two, for example, but I'm not entirely sure how it's like filtered onto like other pieces of legislation. Right. And so here's its section on the Department of Health and Human Services, just to take one executive agency example. It says under President Trump, HHS was dedicated to serving all Americans from conception to natural death, including those individuals and families who face economic and social well-being challenges. Under President Biden, the mission has shifted to promoting equity in everything we do, uh, quoting Biden there, I guess. And so there's, there's the beginning of laying out a difference. So to end on a related note, I see you wrote an article on Semaphore a few weeks ago, um, called, I'm pulling it up here, um, about Trump and Obamacare uh, that said, that said, um, well, now I'm having trouble finding it, but it's your article, right? Like Trump is still running against Obamacare, but other Republicans want to know what's your alternative? Oh yeah, this is a this is a fun one to uh, to ask around about. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So this is you know this is something that, for example, I don't think you would exactly find in Project Twenty Twenty Five because we would have all heard about it. But you know, re- Trump hasn't really wanted to relitigate the Affordable Care Act for for quite a quite a while. But then you know he started raising he started suggesting, much to Democratic glee, that if he's reele- that he's reelected, he would actually take another swing at um, repealing and replacing it. And I'm sure, I'm sure many of your listeners remember how that all went down and fell apart. And ever since then, there hasn't been much Republican appetite to try again because, um, you know, it proved to be very unpopular with the public. It contributed to their loss of the House in 2018. It also hurt them in 2020 because the Trump administration was litigating it in court and trying to, trying to overturn the entire law. But recently, Trump is, um, started raising this, started suggesting that he wants to do away with it. And Republican senators that I've talked to are really reluctant to do it again. So for example, I had an interesting interview with Senator Bill Cassidy not too long ago, Senator of Louisiana. He led a last ditch effort to replace the law in fall 2017. And he basically said to me that a lot of what Trump says is stream of consciousness. Um, if the If Republicans were to somehow gain control of the Senate, for example, would be a very narrow majority, so they'd run into the same problems that they did in 2017, trying to convince like Senator Susan Collins, who said that, you know, she said recently that that's, you know, repealing the ACA is not going to happen. Um, you know, I think a lot of Republicans are very reluctant to directly criticize Trump, but they're loath to try this again because they just don't want to run into something when they clearly do not have a replacement plan in place to ensure that millions of Americans do not lose their health coverage. Joseph Ceballos Roy covers Congress for the news organization Semaphore. Joseph, thanks for coming on with us today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.